Good morning. Well, that's almost like it's the end of a year. <laughs> we're delighted that you're here with us. We have some visitors, and we're delighted that you're here. And uh, we have some that are out today. I know some are traveling. I know some that are sick uh, this morning, including my dad. That's, uh, he's battling some cold symptoms and was planning on being here but just couldn't. And so to see my brother and his wife bring in my mom without my dad, that was, that was striking. He was supposed to teach the, the conference room class, and so he's encouraging all in that class, unless there's somebody to step up to uh, just uh, meet with another class this morning. I also want to mention, I'm going to be making announcements in a moment, but uh, let's continue to pray for Sheila Hudson. She came through the surgery well, uh, but had a setback uh, because of the anesthesia and other things associated with it, her tongue just swelled tremendously and uh, uh, blocking the, the passage of air through, through her mouth. And so she's in ICU with an uh, oxygen tube down, down her sinus cavities. But uh, Fred called me last night. There had been no change uh, over the last couple of days until last evening. Uh, the doctor reported that there was some reduction in the, in the swelling. So we're thankful for that, and we want to continue to pray for that to continue, for Sheila to, to recover from this surgery um, and the after effects, and pray for Fred as he's there every time visiting hours are open. Let's pray for strength for him as well. Let's just pause for a prayer right now. Father, we're so thankful uh, for every blessing that you give us. And thank, thank you, Father, for the avenue of prayer. When we feel helpless to help, we know that's where you uh, are not limited. And so, Father, we ask for your great care on Sheila and upon Fred. And we're thankful for the better news concerning Sheila's condition. We pray that that will just continue and that she will fully recover from this and, and be able to uh, be back home and back with us just as soon as possible. We are very mindful of those who've lost loved ones recently, and most recently, uh, the Richardson family. And as Matt prayed earlier, we're so thankful for her life and for her family that she adored, and they adored her in return, and ask for your comfort to be with them. But Father, I'm thankful for the bond that unites us in Jesus, for the support that Mary experienced and the support that Mary gave from the back pew girls to all the members of this church family. And it just reminds us of how precious it is to be related to one another through the blood of Jesus. And that you are our Father, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So bless our church family, particularly those that are struggling today. And uh, Father, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've learned a few uh, motions of sign language, and this is one that, that I've been really taught by, by some of my family members, the youngest of which. I've seen Noah and Paisley make this sign. This means more. And I saw it again last night. I was literally bouncing Colson, my great-nephew. I can't tell you how strange that sounds for me to say great-nephew my nephew's son, I realized, that's a great nephew. But I was bouncing Colson on my knee and uh, humming along 
bouncing to the beat. And then all of a sudden I'd stop and make a funny noise. And he would just crack up. And then Brittany, his mama, Blake's Brittany, pointed out to me he was making this motion. It meant do it again. And so I would do it again. And after I'd do it again, I'd look down and sure enough, he'd be doing this again. So it got, I think everybody else in the family was annoyed at what I was doing except for Colson. But he wanted more, more. And I thought about that as I was preparing and finishing up this lesson. There are things we want more of. And definitely one of those is we want more joy. We want more joy. And so here's a lesson from a great book of the Bible, the book of Philippians. And a dominant theme in the book of Philippians is joy. And I want to approach chapter 4, first eight verses, how to have joy all year long. You want more joy? Let's study what the Apostle Paul writes and see how we can do that. Here's one thing we can do, and that's stand fast or stand firm. Verse 1, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast or stand firm in, in the Lord. The Apostle Paul is writing from prison. Never forget that when you read the book of Philippians. So he is in, in his own dwelling, but he's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. And he's awaiting his trial. And so here's the Apostle Paul, who, if you've studied anything about his life, you know that he preached Jesus wherever he went. And many places where he went, that message was not received. And he was persecuted for it. And now he's in prison. But he's the one that, by inspiration, is challenging his readers and us to stand firm or stand fast. And the background of that, of that phrase is a soldier standing firm, standing at his post, refusing to, to leave it, but being willing to bear up under any pressure that, that he or she has. And if you look through Paul's writings, you'll see him repeat this idea over and over. Let me give you a few examples. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast or stand firm. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So stand fast. Be steadfast. NIV says, let nothing move you. Let nothing move you. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. In the classic text of Ephesians 6 about putting on the full armor of God, he uses these phrases again. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, verse 13, so that you will be able to, to resist on the evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. Next verse, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your, your waist. So over and over, the Apostle Paul urges us Stand firm, stand fast, hold your position. And he's talking about being in the will of God. I've discovered a phrase this past week and some background to it. And the phrase is this, stay in the traces. 
Stay in the traces. I wasn't familiar with that term. And so I researched it a little bit, and one writer suggests that this phrase came about, and what I have pictured on the map before you is the Natchez Trace Parkway that goes from Nashville down to Natchez, uh, Mississippi. And this is an old route that was taken. It was a trail that was taken for many, many years. And now it's become a parkway that you can't speed on if you've ever been, that you've ever been on it. And at some points, I'm told, you can see the old trail and the old traces. And one writer suggests that these traces, what's meant by that and stay in the traces, is during the colonial era when they would tra travel by horse and wagon, that these wagon wheels would make, would make traces, would make, we'd call them ruts. But the idea was if you were traveling along this trace, Keep your wheels in the traces. Don't try to venture off. Of course, if it rains, I would think there'd be a problem there. But if it wasn't raining, these places would become very hard. And it'd be, it'd be in your best interest to put those wheels in those traces and they would take you to your destination. Make application of that idea. Stay in your traces to staying in the will of God. Don't deviate from it. No matter... If you're persecuted, no matter how difficult it gets, stay in the traces. Stay within the will of God because therein is true joy. Number two, settle your differences. Settle your differences. Verses two and three, I implore, Paul writes, Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I've often thought, as this letter was read to the church at Philippi, I would hate to be Yodia and Syntyche, called out by name. And Paul doesn't identify the exact nature of the conflict of these two women. He says a lot of good about them. They'd been co-laborers with him and other workers in the gospel, and they were hard-working co-laborers with him. And he doesn't address the nature of the conflict except that there is conflict between them, and he's urging these two women, agree, settle your differences, live in harmony with one another. And the fact that he doesn't identify uh, the nature of the conflict and especially that he doesn't take sides, teaches us that whatever the nature of the conflict and whoever is to blame and likely in a conflict, both parties share in the blame. You need to work through it. You need to resolve it. Because let me ask you something. How much joy is drained when you're at odds with your loved one? And we all know that is so draining and it's so, so anti-joy. And so no wonder the Apostle Paul says, settle your differences. You're sisters in the Lord. You need to be able to work through this. And so settle them and, and live in harmony with one another. And how true is that for you and me today? Settle those differences. Live in harmony. 
I saw a synopsis of a book. The book title is this, What They Never Told Us About How to Get Along with One Another. Judson Edwards is the, is the author. And he gives six principles to help uh, create healthy relationships and to resolve differences. Let me briefly state those. Number one, agree more and argue less. And that's what the Apostle Paul is telling Euodia and Syntyche. By the way, Euodia means sweet-smelling and Syntyche means friendly. And watch this. I found this quote. For whatever reason, sweet smell and friendly weren't very sweet or very friendly to each other. And here it goes again. If I'm Euodia and I'm Syntyche and I know the meaning of my names, how embarrassing that is. But what a motivation for me to get right with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Agree more, argue less. Number two, listen more, talk less. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. James 1.19 How many times would our conflicts be resolved more easily if we'd close our mouths and listen? Many times we don't have the full story. So we need, we got two ears and one mouth. I think that's a design, don't you? We need to listen more than we talk. Produce more, advertise less. I thought that was a curious statement. But then I thought, perhaps the author means, don't just talk about it, do it. Produce more, advertise less. Number four, confess more and accuse less. Don't you see the wisdom of that? Instead of pointing fingers like, you did this, you did that, you're saying, here's what I've done wrong, and I apologize. Laugh more, fret less. Laugh more, fret less. We need more laughter and less fretting. Give more and receive less. And as I spoke about Mary Richardson, I believe that's a tremendous example. Give more, receive less. Some of you did not hear this, I want to tell you. One of Mary's last instructions to Joe, her husband, and to me was to make sure we got the gifts that she had purchased, the bag, the goodie bags for her back pew girls back there to make sure they got those gifts. And so that was her instruction while she was in the hospital. So when she was moved to, moved to SADS, I hope she was able to hear us tell her that we at least gotten them to the church building so back pew girl, if you haven't got your gift, it's in the nursing room. But near the end of her life, what is she thinking about? Giving and not receiving. Give more, receive less. Number three, resolve to rejoice. Resolve to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And it's the only command that's repeated. Why do you think the Apostle Paul repeats this? Because maybe we need it repeated. Because when life gets difficult, sometimes we need to be reminded and reminded again. We need to make the choice to rejoice. We need to make the choice to rejoice. Because that's a command, isn't it? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say Rejoice. You remember where he is? 
in prison. Why is he in prison? Because he's preaching Christ. But even in prison, even being chained to a Roman guard, Paul the Apostle is able to find reasons to rejoice. Can't we? I like this statement by David Roper. We cannot always rejoice in in the circumstances of life, but we can always rejoice in the Lord. And that's what he's saying, isn't it? Rejoice in the Lord, in that sphere, in that realm, in that relationship that you have with God through Jesus. Even if your life gets extremely difficult, you can always rejoice in that relationship, in that relationship with God through his son Jesus. You can always rejoice as a Christian because of the blessings that Jesus brings into our lives. So if you wake up tomorrow, Lord willing, and beginning a brand new year, and you're feeling kind of down, here's some homework. And this applies to any day, maybe every day. What a way to begin a day. Take a sheet of paper at the top right, reasons to rejoice. And just begin listing them. And I believe, and I believe we know this, that if we'll make that a habit, we'll always find reasons to rejoice. Number four, ask God for a gentle spirit. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Those who study the Greek language, which the New Testament was originally written, Uh, say that this word is really hard to translate. Other translations other than gentleness are um, moderation, forbearance, mildness, fair-mindedness. One writer calls it the quality of inner calmness. Inner calmness. And that quality of inner calmness is especially needed when we're dealing with difficult circumstances or we're dealing with difficult people. And when we're dealing with difficult people or circumstances, we know the natural response is not inner calmness. The natural response may be frustration. It may be irritation. It may be retaliation. But what the Apostle Paul is challenging us to do is to respond rather with gentleness, with inner calmness. And I think it's easy for us to see how that would lead to joy and not to uh, sadness and strife. Number five, pray about everything. Be anxious for nothing, verse six, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Beloved text, beautiful text. I like contemporary English version that says, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything, pray about everything. Do you know that most of the time that we spend worrying is basically a waste of emotional energy? There was a, a, a professor at a leading uh, university in the States here that did a study. And these are what he found as he studied things that people worry about. 
According to this study, 40% of the things that people worried about never happened. 40%. 30% of the things that people worried about concerned the past. The unchangeable past. 12% were needless worries about health. 10% were about petty issues. Only 8%, according to this study... Of the, of the worry time were about legitimate concerns, 8%. So 92% of the things worried about, it was pointless. Worry is stewing without doing. It's stewing without doing. It's wrong because it assumes that God can't take care of us. Can we predict the future? No. Can your worrying about the future change the course of events? No. We can't change yesterday. We can't fully predict what's going to happen tomorrow. So why allow worry to destroy our present? Paul says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And when we give our concerns, our cares to God, He gives us His peace. That peace that passes all understanding. And it becomes a guard on our, over our hearts and our minds. That word guard is a military metaphor that refers to soldiers guarding the gate. And what this promise is that we give our cares and concerns to God that God's peace becomes a guard over our hearts and minds, not allowing the intrusion of these things that can destroy us. That makes for joy, doesn't it? And finally, number six, focus on, on the good. Focus on the good. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Focus on the good. Isn't that what Paul is saying? There is so much bad, evil, negative, sinful in the world. And we cannot ignore that. But Paul is saying, focus, put your primary focus on the good in life. I've told you before, one segment that I like to catch when I'm watching national news, and most, most of the national news is just depressing. I'll come back to that in a moment. But Steve Hartman, I believe is his name, does a segment on CBS that... Uh, Whenever I hear him come on, I listen. Because a lot of the times, on the road with Steve Hartman, I think that segment is called, I hope it's still going, he'll find something that's going on positive, and he'll highlight it. And having listened to the news and getting rather depressed, that's just like a breath of fresh air. But it reminds me of what Paul is saying here. Focus on the good. And that, that suggests two directives for, for you and for me. Number one is watch your input. Watch your input. 
Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything flows from it. And when the Bible speaks of the heart, it's really the mind. Guard your mind, because everything flows from your mind. And if it's, here's an old term, garbage in, garbage is going to come out. And garbage in, garbage is going to depress you and steal your joy, if you allow it. So watch your input. And secondly, purposefully take note of good things. You may have to look hard sometimes, but be purposeful about looking for good. You think the Apostle Paul knows what he's talking about? Do you think if we would do our best to implement these things, that we could have joy and more joy? I believe we can. There was a third century man doing some research. I think his name was Cyprian. He was anticipating death. And he penned these last words to a friend, Donatus. And here's the quote. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. May that be said of us. May that characterize our lives. That no matter how bad the world may get, that the, the world can't rob us of our joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I pray that as long as the Lord gives us 2024 and however much time, that we'll rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Do you know that joy of the Lord that comes by being in relationship with Him? If it's your desire on this last day of 2023, if you've been studying or ready to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, why not today? The baptistry is ready. We're ready to assist you. If, you're, if you've turned from sin and repentance, you're ready to confess the sweet name of Jesus, that He is the Son of God, we're ready to baptize you into Christ. So his blood can wash away your sins. What about Christians? Those who have obeyed the gospel. Has the world, have we allowed the world to rob us of our joy? Have we been looking for joy in other things? Maybe we need to come back, turn back to the Lord. If that's the desire of your heart, if you need us to pray with you for that to that end or for any need that's weighing on your heart, we'd love to. And won't you come right now as we stand and sing?